Would you welcome to this pulpit our good friends and missionaries from Botswana, Rob and Mary Grinley. Hallelujah. I think I'm on. Praise the Lord. Uh, It's a blessing to be back with you. I feel like giving you a round of applause as well. (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, There are no superstars in the kingdom, but it's nice to be in a place where you feel like you're loved. I've got my beautiful wife here with me. Mary, can you stand up? And She's a gift of God, a co-laborer with me. My mom and dad are here, praise the Lord. Some cousins and different people, and praise the Lord, you're here and Jesus is here. So um, tonight, we're just going to take the first few minutes to kind of show uh, a short video, um, if it's okay, and um, kind of narrate, uh, it's about a four minute long video, narrate what's going on in Botswana currently in our ministry, in our ministry, and uh, so that we can see what the Lord is doing. The Lord is really uh, expanding uh, the influence that is happening there on a scale which uh, is really beyond what we thought, and so I'll... I'll try to narrate through that if it's possible. This is one of the churches that we started since 2007. This is one of the other churches that we've started. We have three churches currently running. We pray that God would send us men in the churches. It's an unusual thing for men to be in the churches. God is sending us men. We're trying to give our church also a heart for missions. We're going to be ascending church ourselves. This is the third church out in the village of Tobani. One of our up-and-coming leaders is going to be a pastor there. Just got married this year. We had, I think, six weddings in the church. Hallelujah. You know, we had years where no one was getting married. This year, we had a harvest of marriages. This is our competition, one of the other churches. This is our children's program, uh, Powerhouse Sports. Kids come, we talk to them about the Lord. They play sports, we feed them. There are over 300 that come. Uh, And so they come a few times a week. Parents would not allow their children maybe to come to church, but they allow them to come and play sports, and we get them saved that way. Many of them are now growing up and teenagers in the church. This is a site plan for our orphan project. We have five acres of land which we're building, Children of Promise Orphan Center. This is some of the homes that are being built. This is the second orphan home. This year, just recently, last week, the vice president uh, was in a meeting with a friend of ours who went to him specifically to talk to him about our orphan project. Looks like he's going to get on board with us. This is his home village, and he's very excited about what we're doing. Praise the Lord. This is the director's house. We're still praying for a director, so if you're out there, come and see us. This is another orphan home in the process. 20% of the children in our city are orphans because of the HIV pandemic. So many of them are, are, I mean, there's tremendous need there for orphan care. Some typical housing out in the villages. 
We have a one-year Bible training program. This year we had about 20 students from nine different churches. That couple right there in the middle were from what we consider an occultic church. Got saved in the Bible school. Wife was healed of diabetes coming to church. They went back and took the changes back to their church. Uh, ten churches. Praise the Lord. It's Mary's ladies' ministry. She has a ladies' ministry in two different cities, and now she's starting to get invited out to preach. She's getting more invites than me now. <laughs> I speak to a public school every Friday morning. If I don't, one of my Bible school students does. 760 kids, 25 teachers. We're in every uh, uh, school from 8 to 12, 10th grade and also in the senior high school. Last year we were over 7,000 young people, spoke to them over four or five times. The government of Botswana gave us a grant to do that, to talk to the kids about abstinence, to stop HIV. This is our latest thing. We're purchasing a farm, 635 acres, so that we can grow our own crops, have our own animals, so that we can be more self-sufficient uh, for the Orphan Project. This is the, the house on the farmland. We're right next to a river, and since we made the decision to buy this property, they're getting record rainfalls in Botswana. You know, Botswana's desert. The rivers are running, and we're abutting a river. This is some housing that just needs to be fixed, a dairy building. And so that's what we're doing in a nutshell. We're busy. We're looking for co-laborers. And uh, we have some information out in the foyer, so if you're interested, we of course need people to continue to partner with us. We thank God for the friendship and partnership of this church. Amen. Besides all that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we have the opportunity to see the Lord do a lot of tremendous healings and miracles. Praise the Lord. And I would say probably my most exciting thing that I'm excited about is the prayer life of our church now. Uh, we have people that are, that are now praying every day of the week uh, because they said we were not having enough prayer meetings even though we were meeting uh, four days a week. They were saying, that's not enough, Pastor. We need to be meeting at our homes and praying together. And so uh, the prayer life is, is coming on strong, something that had really lagged behind. And uh, so good things are happening it's changing the atmosphere of the church. It's making the gifts of the Spirit operate more freely. We thank God that the prayer life is, is coming on. Hallelujah. So, thank you very much. Well, I feel like I've already been to church with those songs. and But let's pray and see where the Lord takes us tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you tonight. And we pray that you lead us and guide us into all truth. The truth that you want to speak to us about tonight. Things that you want to say. And so Lord we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you'd give us grace to communicate and grace to hear. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. It's not where I planned on starting, but I feel like the Lord wants me to start here. 
Ephesians chapter 6 is one of the most powerful summations of the Christian life. And it's important to understand that Ephesians chapter 6 follows after Ephesians chapter 5 and 4 and 3 and 2 and 1. And, and he gets to the point in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, finally, brothers. And in the Greek language, it means in light of everything that we've already talked about, this is what we were trying to get to. He doesn't just talk about the spiritual armor. And then he says in verse uh, 17, or let's say 18, pray at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. Some Bibles say, be watchful that you're making prayers and supplication for all saints. So Ephesians is telling us that God has given us a privileged position, a privileged spiritual position. Christ came to earth so that he could give us his position with God. Hallelujah. And so Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 tells us that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And that's a wonderful thing. We're saved by grace and we're called to do the works of God. And then chapters 4 and chapters 5 talk to us about relationships. Relationships at work, relationships between husbands and wives, relationships at the workplace, relationships between parents and children. He says, now after all this, put on the armor of God and be watchful now that you have all these things in order so that you can pray for all saints. In other words, God has given us all these things and he's saying, now watch yourself. Keep an eye on yourself that you're not using all these things for yourself. But that you're using them for the furtherance of other people's lives. And that you're watching yourself to say, Rob, are you praying for everybody? Are you praying for the person that sits next to you in church? Are you praying? Watch yourself because it's easy to let yourself slide into a place where you're not really praying that much. And so there are many people in our circles, and and I should say in my circles, who understand some of the wonderful things that Christ has died to give us. But they're not watchful of themselves, that they're actually utilizing it for the right reasons. So it says, keep an eye on yourself. You'll be distracted from this. Satan will try to distract you and keep you from praying because he understands the power that happens when we pray for one another. The New Testament church, the church that has power that we read about in the book of Acts is a church that is saturated and soaked with lives of prayer. The apostles, when they were faced with giving food to the widows, they said, it's not right for us to leave the word of God. And serve tables. And then they said let's choose some men. So that they can serve tables. So that we can give ourselves continually. To the word of God in prayer. For the apostles prayer was never on the table. As something they would give up. They said if we have to give up the word. Ministering the word we will. But we will never give up prayer. Because prayer is the foundation. 
It's the thing that allows God to move into the earth like God wants to move. John Wesley said God does nothing except in response to fervent prayer. This is one thing that we have to understand. God's will and God is sovereign. God cannot do everything he wants to do because he's limited himself through covenant. And so he gave over the earth and its authority to mankind. And so God now is standing back and asking us, open the way for me to do something. Ask me to do something. That's why we have the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If his will is automatically done, there's no point in the prayer. So God is up there saying, won't someone ask me to do something? Won't they ask me so they'll allow me to do that which I want to do? See, prayer is not about getting God to do what we want him to do. The most effective prayer is to find out what God wants to do and then ask him to do it. All you're doing is you're opening the door and say, God, I understand this is what you want to do. And because I'm a human being on the earth, I'm asking you, I'm opening this door and I'm saying, come and do it here. Come and do it in this family. Come and do it in this community. Come and do it in this workplace. Come in and do it in this home. And I'm persevering in prayer. And I'm being watchful on myself. Rob, keep praying. Don't give up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God does not automatically get done what he wants to do. He needs us. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like, God doesn't need us. The Bible tells us that Christ is the head and we are the body. Which person doesn't need their body? I mean, how crazy it is to say, we don't, you know, he doesn't need us. He's all sufficient all by himself. That's not the picture God plates of himself. If he's going to move, he has to have someone to move through. And that's you and I, hallelujah. So let's be watchful to this end on ourselves. Let's become people that are praying so that God can do what God wants to do. The Bible says in these last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Our sons and daughters will not be drug addicts. Our sons and daughters will not be bipolar. Our sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. And old men will dream dreams. And they'll pour it out on men's servants and maid servants. Well, why isn't he doing that in America? Be watchful to this end. Let's be people of prayer. And not just logic. Rationally, we can look at the situation and it looks hopeless. You know, when I come back from Botswana... And I hear people talking about America. Wow. The negativity is quite ripe. Do you want to come over to Africa (laughs) and see what you have to deal with? There is so much 
good and so much potential and the seeds are there. There's so much word in us. We simply need to put it in order and begin to use it by faith. Things can begin to turn around. Why? Because God is almighty. He can change things. Hallelujah. Can you imagine the government of Botswana is paying a missionary from America to go to their schools. We were rated the champion in Botswana last year in abstinence. This year they gave us another grant. This is the third time. Hallelujah. I never expected that. God is moving. Hallelujah. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. I haven't prayed enough. I want to pray more. I have to be watchful that I'm a person of prayer. Hallelujah. Now, why is it that some people don't pray much? I'd like to just take a few minutes to talk about prayer. James chapter 1. says in verse 5 if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord some translation says let not, not, let not that man think he will get anything from the Lord. It's almost like James is saying, tell that person, you're wasting your time. So James starts out and he says, we are serving a giving God who gives liberally to all. Hallelujah. God is not an unfeeling God. He's not a cheap God. He's not a God that's holding back. He's not a God who's up there and we got to fast and pray to twist him to do something kind. That's not God. God is love. James says we're serving a giving God who gives to all, you included, liberally and without reproach. But we must ask him in faith. We must believe that when we're asking him, he's actually going to do that which we're asking him to do. Hallelujah. It says, let him not ask in worry. It doesn't say don't ask in desperation. You know, there's some people in Botswana, the way they teach prayer is you've got to be desperate. God doesn't answer necessarily desperate prayers. Desperation is not the qualification. It's let's ask in faith. So sometimes when things are tough and we're worried and afraid, we have to first stabilize ourselves. We have to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I'm afraid. And, uh, you know, things are like this and talk to the Lord and let him talk to us. And he begins to reveal his word to us to the place we begin to become strengthened and then once we're in faith, that's the time to send it horizontal, to send it vertical. 
Sometimes we're praying too early. We're not ready. So James is saying, tell that person it's not going to work yet. Jesus said it this way. He says, if my words are living in you and you're living in me, you ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Not the problem living in you. Not the situation, not how it's been for the last five years. Not the analysis of the psychologist. Let the word of God dwell in you, believe it, and then send it vertical. We're, we're, some of us were digesting all the wrong diet for having a life of faith. You can't get on the internet and look at a prognosis of all your symptoms and what's coming down the road for you and then lift it vertical. There's a prognosis for you right here. Hallelujah. With long life, he'll satisfy you and show you his salvation. Hallelujah. I had a lady this year, <clears throat> she was bitten by a snake, not come to my church, one of her members, one of, well, girl like a daughter to us, she's gone through the Bible school, she's like a daughter, but it's her mom, she's bitten by a snake, I'm called to the house to go and pray for her, she's shaking, trembling, you know, she's so sick, she can't stand up, but she calls, she wants to be prayed for. And so she struggles to stand up. And I can see the blood poisoning going from here all the way up. All the way up. You know, and it disappears under her clothes. And I said, where does that actually stop? She pulled up their side. It stops right about here, right next to her heart. And my mind says, if that gets there, it's lights out. And I said to her, ma'am. Do you want to go to the hospital? She says, no, pastor. I believe when you pray, I'll be healed. I put my hands on her in the name of Jesus. And she said, I feel better. Hallelujah. And she was healed. Several months later, she got a growth about the size of a fist here on her thigh her doctors told her it was cancerous. They told her it was because she didn't get traded for the snake bite. I said, I don't think that's the reason. She came to church again very sickly. And so I prayed for her in the name of Jesus. Command that thing to shrink up. It went from like this down to about the size of a golf ball, smaller. She came back the following week. It had turned black. It was hard and solid. And she went to get prayer. One of the prayer counselors said, can you come here, pastor? This lady, she's got this thing that's turned black. He said, you know, I said, let's just pray it will disappear in Jesus' name. He said, but it's black. You know, I said, hey, you know, you don't want your prayer counselors thinking like that. <laughs> he said, in the name of Jesus. And I said, now check yourself. She fell for herself. Gone. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. 
We need to have a right diet. So that we can have the right expectations. Because it doesn't matter what they name it. There's a name above every name. Hallelujah. Don't spend all your time trying to search out what it is. Spend that time searching out who he is. There's a name above every name. There's a name above bipolar. Hallelujah. There's a name above depression. Hallelujah. There's a name above every name. And that name is at our disposal. So it says, finally, brothers, watch yourself. Are we praying for each other? And are we praying in faith? Faith is different than hope. Hope says, you know, I'll try this and maybe it will work. Maybe we'll see some improvement. That's different than faith. Faith also has to persevere. Faith is not afraid to look at it. But then it says, I see something else. See something higher. Something different. Hallelujah. And the Bible says you and I, we've got that same spirit of faith. Hallelujah. We've got that spirit of faith that lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of faith. It's been given to us. Let's cooperate with that spirit of faith. You know what it says in the book of Hebrews? It says the children of Israel, they came out of uh, Egypt and they're supposed to be going to the promised land. And it says, and the gospel was preached to them. But they did not mix it with faith. Or a better translation is, they didn't mix with others of faith. In other words, the message came to them, but the problem is they were hanging around with the wrong group. It's important to be around faith. People that are believing. Relationships have a lot to do with our, where we're going in our life. Hallelujah. You know, I had a, a, a Zimbabwean pastor help me. You know what happened one day? We went to, he invited me to come and preach at a conference. And this little girl was brought. She was 13 years old, blind. <clears throat> her mom brought her in, you know, holding her because she couldn't see anything. You know, and it walked her to the front. They took their seats in the. And so the worship went on and, you know, I preached the previous day and had a chance to lay hands on some sick people and they were healed and different things happened. And This lady stands up in the middle of the service, which you don't find that in, in Africa very much. They're very respectful. And she said, I brought my daughter here to be healed. She's blind. And I thought, wow, what's going to happen? This was several years ago. My friend, the pastor from Zimbabwe, looked over at me, pointed to me, said, Rob, you come here and take, pray for this girl with me. So we went, I went there, you know, and I was kind of a little bit over my head. But he helped me. He said, let's put our hands on her. And he put his hands on the little girl. I put my hands on her. And he said to the little girl, she's 13 years of age, 
He said, when we take our hands off of you, we want you to see. And I thought, wow. So we put our hands on her. We prayed. And I felt what felt like rain coming down over us. When we took our hands off that little girl, he said to her, now see. And he pointed and she said, I can see. I can see. You know, I jumped about this high. I was screaming hallelujah. And her mom didn't cry. She wailed. And that little girl spent the rest of the conference playing with other kids. Hallelujah. Her mom stood up and later on in the week she said, I'm giving half my crops to the Lord. Look what he's done for my daughter. No one asked her to do that. But there was an expectation. And then she met with the brother. It wasn't me. I had the chance to mix with someone who had faith. And it helped me to believe the good news. This church that we planted in Tobani the first week, we had five people blind come to church. Three of them were instantly healed. Hallelujah. I had the opportunity to mix with people of faith. You know, when you read this Bible, you have an opportunity to mix with people of faith. You can mix with David. You can mix with Paul. You can mix with Peter. You can mix with Jesus. Stop mixing with the wrong group. You know, it's entertaining sometimes to listen to the wrong group. We're winning. We're not losing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil lie to you that we're losing. You know, I like to say this. The Muslims are not winning. They're afraid of one of us going to Saudi Arabia. They're going to kill us because they know if they leave one of us there, something's going to happen. We are a threat to them. Because they understand there's a potential in Christianity. When the communists got into power, they said, we got to get rid of these Christianity things. Because why? There's so much potential for personal freedom. God's on our side. And we're winning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians. Before I enter into this, I just want to say something else from the book of James. You know the passage in James chapter 6? It says, if anyone's sick in the church, let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over them. You know, that's not the call of desperation. That's the call of faith. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What kind of call is that? It's the call of faith. Because faith releases or gives grace an opportunity to flow. We're saved by grace through faith. God's favor has to come through something. God wants to be good. He needs a way to get it to you. Faith is that way. 
When you believe, it's like putting a pipe next to you that says, God, get your grace to me. Hallelujah. You know, God is a God of all grace. He's a God of all comfort. He's the God of all hope. He's got a lot of good things that he wants to get to us, but he needs a connecting rod of us actually believing so that he can release his grace into our lives. Hallelujah. God is a lot nicer than some people make him out to be. He's a lot more compassionate than some people treat him like he is. You know, I remember when I first went to Africa and I first saw my you know, with my own eyes, someone that had HIV and, oh, wow, they suffer. I remember we used to have a girl, lady that came to church. She used to wrap up her arms because they were all, just the skin was broken down. She was so thin. She would sit in Bible studies and she would gnash her teeth. She was in so much pain. And she'd keep coming and hearing the word of God. We didn't get her healed, though. But she got her life saved. Hallelujah. But, you know, as I looked at that lady, I used to think, you know, God, why don't you do something? And I used to look at God as somehow I had more compassion than he did. And that's a terrible way to work with God. Because we are sent... To release his compassion into the world. He's wanting to show the world that he's good. God so loved that he sent. And God is still loving. God is still trying to send as an expression of his love. We have to release that which he is. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You can look at it in detail later. I'll just summarize it very quickly because of time. There's a passage that starts in verse 22 and goes to the end of the chapter. And it's talking about the subject of marriage. But then in the end he says... I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ in the church. And when Mary and I came off the mission field because we were on the verge of divorce, those verses meant a lot to us in helping us to align ourselves with what a marriage is supposed to be like. Hallelujah. Thank God God saved our marriage. We were on the verge of divorce. And... And I used to read these passages and I used to pull out truths and and share them with people. Very helpful. But I was missing one of the major points. He says, I'm not just talking about that. I'm really talking about Christ in the church. And I caught a glimpse of something. And I want to share that with you. In talking about the church... One thing that we have to recognize is we are the body of Christ, right? We're also the bride, both. And the Bible says 
No one ever hated his own body. No one ever despised his own body. But he nourishes and cherishes it. But we're living in a day in which many Christians are despising the church. Now, what it says is there are four areas for women to be aware of, for the men to be aware of, that they need help with at times as well. One is the area of submission. You know this passage, right? Men, we all know it. Wives, submit to your husbands, right? We know it better than our wives. We have to stop telling them that and let God tell them. But we know it. Then at the end of the chapter it says, Wives, see that you respect your husband. This is the biggest complaint husbands have when they come for counseling is, she doesn't respect me. The way she talks to me. Blah, 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 blah. Then... I'm not picking on you ladies, I'm really not. Okay, I'm talking about Christ in the church. Then it says that Christ is giving the word to the church that he might sanctify it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And then he talks about this idea of nourishing and cherishing. You know, the idea of nourishing, what it means is to bring to maturity. One of the roles of people in authority, you know, earlier on, man, it says, uh, the husband is head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That means in the same spirit in which Christ is the head of the church, that's how the same spirit we're supposed to carry our authority. It's not a domineering, selfish authority. It's an authority that is as of Christ would carry it. Hallelujah. Which is a sacrificial, I'm looking for what's best for you, authority. But he says this authority is to nourish, which means to bring to maturity. Which means authority figures have the potential to cause people to become everything that they're meant to be. And that's their role. You know, like with our children. We're given authority in their lives because when we speak to them, we can cause them to become that which they were meant to be. It's not enough to look at our child and say, no good, no good. An authority figure has to know, I'm speaking to them and I'm building them and I'm making them something. With my words and with my beliefs. Hallelujah. And some of us, we know what it was like not to have an authority figure that did that. Now, praise God, I had good parents. But I know some of you didn't. But now that you're an authority figure, the value and power of you to make them to become what they were meant to be. Even Mary, you know, I was joking about her getting more invitations to preach. But in October, it was like that. She preached a few conferences. Now, she used to think, I can't do this. I got nothing. And I'd say, honey, you got a gift in you. There's something in there. You need to let it out. It's going to bless people. 
And as an authority figure, by expressing my belief in her, she began to believe in herself. Wasn't I was lying to her, I could actually see it. And then she began to do it and she found out, you're right. Hallelujah. We had a lady in our church back in Botswana. Her, her little girl was a D student. She used to call her stupid. In Botswana, they like to use the word dunderhead. You're just a dunderhead. Her mom at home, her grandmother would also call the little girl stupid and dunderhead. Why can't you be like your younger sister? She's so clever, but you're just stupid. And then she caught sight of this. And she went home and she said to her mom, Mom, I made a mistake. Don't ever call my child stupid again. We're changing. She sat down with her daughter. She said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You're not stupid. You're clever. I believe in you. You know what happened to that little girl? She went from D's to the top of her class. Someone that had no interest in doing schoolwork. Now she was coming home to show her mom her stuff. And her mom was saying, see... I told you you could do it. You are bright. And she loved that positive reinforcement and it caused her to rise up. Hallelujah. I'm not saying every child in here that we have is an A student. But I'm saying they need us to become that which they were meant to be. Hallelujah. Now, the other word cherish, it means to keep warm. Wives need to be cherished. If we don't cherish them, they'll go cold. And then we'll complain that they're cold. It's not their fault. It's our fault. When we went for marriage counseling, the, the, the person asked Mary, they asked me, do you love Mary? I said, oh, yes, I love her. I thought it was a stupid question. He said to Mary, do you love Rob? She said, no, I don't. She said, he's killed off every last feeling I have. I don't have anything. I'm cold. You know why? Because I had stopped cherishing her. I was so busy doing that. That I was not doing what God said to do. You know, Valentine's Day. It can bring a little life back into our relationships. Because why? The guy goes to doing the right things. Right? He pursues. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, it says... Be joined to your wife. Actually, in the Hebrew, that means pursue your wife. Keep capturing her. Keep overtaking her. Keep pursuing her all the days of your life. Keep making her feel like she's the most important human being on the earth. And you're most loved besides Jesus. And you know what will happen? She'll be warm again. Hallelujah. You know, Pastor in Botswana, when, when, people, when the boys begin to start cherishing these girls, we have to give them guidelines. Be safe. Because why? They're going to get into trouble. Because it creates an electricity that pulls them together. But if they're dunderheads like me, they stop pursuing and pursue other things. And then complain. And the wife begins to complain. And she tells us all the things we're not doing that we should be doing. And wife, so you get no excuse to do that. We're supposed to respect our husbands. But it sets off a chain of events. Then he hears the complaints and what does he do? He stops pursuing, he retreats. And it's worse. 
Now, I said all that to say, actually, he's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about the church. So what does it say? It's saying the church is going to struggle in four areas. One, unsubmissive. Two, disrespectful. Three, cold. Four, immature. Which means the church, as, as it's talking about in the book of Ephesians, Jesus is saying, I know what the church is like. I know the church is going to be filled with people who are not submissive. When I ask them to do things, they're going to delay or not do them. You know, submission is not about us doing what we want when we want. And submission only comes into play when you don't agree. It's not submission when God asks you to put some money in the pot and you agree and you want to. It's only submission when you say, hey, I don't want to do that. And then you have to yield. And that's what the Lord is looking for. He's actually looking for submission. Hallelujah. And then, praise the Lord, probably not like this here, but in in a lot of other churches, there's a level of disrespect towards the Lord in this church and towards the things of the Spirit. I mean, people come in, they're, they're somewhere else. They answer their cell phones. They go in and out. They eat. They... When people are getting saved, people walk out. People are getting healed. Where's the respect that we used to have? It's probably not like that here, but it's, it can be like that in other places. And then there's coldness, and sometimes there's immaturity. And you know what he says about that? He loves that bride. And so we can see a church which is unsubmissive, disrespectful, immature, cold. And if we're not careful, we'll despise it. No one ever hated his own body. The world is full of people who are now looking at the church and saying, I don't need the church anymore. I'm fine on my own. You fool. Just because you can see those things doesn't give you an excuse to stop loving the church. Love it. Yes, it's not submissive. Yes, it hurts you sometimes. Yes, it doesn't do the right thing by you sometimes. It's immature. Keep loving the bride. Because why? All that is simply a blemish on her. It's not her. It's simply a blemish. You remember when you were a teenager and used to get a blemish on your face? I still remember. You know, a big event comes and all of a sudden, here it comes. (laughs) That red spot, you know, it's like, oh, no, not now. I know, I got one on my neck tonight. No, and when you're a teenager, you look at that and you say, you know what? When people see me, that's the only thing they're going to see. 
And wouldn't that be tragic if that's all they saw? Because that's not you. What if they missed all that was put in by my parents, by my teachers, by others, and just saw the blemish and missed the treasure? The church has its faults, but it's simply a blemish on a beautiful bride. It's not her. And if we help her, those blemishes can be removed. Remember the story of Esther? She's a beautiful bride. What do they do? They soak her for six months. And then they give her beauty treatment for another six. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get rid of her blemishes. But she's beautiful. What if someone looked at Esther and said, you know what? She's got a pimple on her cheek. (laughs) Say, hey, are you crazy? Can't you see the whole package? It's just a blemish. Husbands, if your wives are making these mistakes, don't throw her away. It's just a blemish. Keep loving her as Christ loved the church. But, you know, I'm troubled when I go around. I have the opportunity to go around and I hear people talking. And I hear them talking about the church. And they can see things and they can see problems. But the unfortunate thing is they're missing the glory of the bride. The bride is supernatural. The bride is glorious. Don't give up on the bride. Jesus hasn't given up on the bride. No one ever hated his own body. But nourishes and cherishes it. Be part of the answer. Not simply a diagnoser of the problem. It's easy to diagnose the problem. Let me end with this. I was up in Montana recently at a missions conference. I'd gone there a bit weary coming back from Botswana, feeling a lot of the weight of having that. not having enough funds and having employees and all those kinds of things, just feeling the weight of the ministry. I was laying in bed in the pastor's house and the Lord spoke to me about a passage in the scriptures. Remember the story where God came after Elijah and Elijah was hiding in a cave? And he said to Elijah, why are you here, Elijah? And, you know, the story is, you know, Elijah says, well, you know, the reason I'm here is because those people which you've called me to be around, they're like this and this and this. And he asks him a question again. He says, why are you here, Elijah? Because you're not supposed to be here. But what the Lord spoke to me in that conversation, he said, you know what's not in the Bible? that I want you to think about, Rob, is why was I there? In other words, not Elijah, why are you in your cave? But Elijah, why did I come and talk to you at the cave? 
And the reason is because he loves you. And he knows you'll never be happy in that cave. Yes, you'll insulate yourself from all the pains and of being around other Christians. But when Elijah left them, you know what he went into? Depression. It was not the way to joy. It was the way to sorrow. So God loved him enough to say, you're not supposed to be here. You'll never really be fulfilled in that cave. Because why? You'll only be happy as you're helping the people of God. Some of you are sitting here tonight. You're hiding. With all your gifts, with all your talents, with all your abilities, with all your light. Because you get discouraged. Because you ran into an immature, disrespectful, unsubmissive, cold part of the church. And God is saying to you, I came here to talk to you. To get you to look at the church differently. And I need you to take your place. You know, all a blemish is, is a clogged pore. And there have been some things maybe that happened to you and have clogged up your spiritual life. And it's time to open those wells again. Isaac went to the wells that the enemies had filled and he began to dig them out. And he came to a place where it says it was Rehoboth, a place of peace. Dig out those wells and come out of your cave because you've got a lot to offer. Hallelujah. You know, there was a point in my life, and I'll end with this. Mary and I came off the mission field 2002. There were People who shunned us. We were failures. They ran for the hills from us. We were an embarrassment. Some people said, you know what we did didn't matter, didn't count. We were hurt. And there were others to kick us while we were down. I had someone say to me, You'll never really be able to do much good. You don't know how to care for people. They were wrong. Hallelujah. And there was a few people who put their arm around us and said, we believe in you. And they helped me to emerge from my cave. God is here tonight and he's trying to help you to emerge from your cave. Let's love the church. Let's love the bride. Oh, if New England could begin to love the bride, 
if when we talk to our friends and they start talking about all the negative things of the church, if they could run into someone that says, yes, I see it, but I love the church. It's the bride. Those are just blemishes. Let's be part of the answer. Hallelujah. I just want to pray and then I'll turn it over, Pastor. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your holy words. And Father, in the name that's above every name, we thank you for grace upon these lives. We pray, Lord, for an emergence from the caves of life. Father, that we begin to stir up those gifts that are within us for the furtherance of your kingdom and so that you might move to remove spots and blemishes from the church. We desire to be part of the answer and not simply diagnosers of the problem. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus... We thank you for grace. We forgive those that have hurt us. We forgive those who have not recognized the grace that's in our lives. And Father, we desire to come back and to love the bride. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name.